Hey everybody, it's Danny. I want to say thank you for tuning in to the Heartway Podcast. And I want to give a special thanks to those of you who are tuning in from really all over the world. We're so grateful that you are a part of our community and that you listen in on an ongoing basis. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, I want to ask you to share this with a friend. You never know the impact that one of these messages can have in another person's life. And if you yourself have been impacted and you'd like to continue to partner with us to keep this work going, Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. Wagwan. Spent the last seven days in Jamaica, and I woke up on Wednesday morning realizing that I think I'm a Jamaican born in a Cuban's body. (laughs) They are so chill and so calm that, like one person said, it's almost irrational. And I like that. But I'm happy to be back. I missed you guys last week. You know, I never miss. I don't miss church even when I'm not teaching. Like, I'm always here, so to not have been here uh, last week was, was tough, but it was great, you know, just waking up by the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> yeah, I was so sad. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm sorry, guys. Well, hey, it's good to, good to be with you guys. Another Sunday that we get to do this. I think we may have to get a bigger space or start a second service. Come on, somebody. I like it. I like it. Got a couple of new uh, infants in the house. You know, new babies being born. That's one way to expand the church family. So there's a lot of couples in here. You know, we, we advocate for, you know, for that growth. So the title of my message today is Deadly Vices. Anybody ever heard of the seven deadly sins? Okay, it's a pretty, pretty popular theme. In the fourth century, there was a monk by the name of Evagrius Ponticus who created a list of uh, seven deadly sins, which was then later revised by a pope. And then it became very popularized within Christianity and Catholicism. I shy away oftentimes from the word sin, not because it's a bad word, but because oftentimes for most folks who grew up in unhealthy religious settings, it just automatically implies guilt and shame. And that is the opposite of what I mean when I talk about vices. So I'm using the word vices intentionally because we all have vices. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We all have character defects. We all have things about ourselves that can be improved and developed. And if we pretend like we don't have vices and we act like we have it all together when we don't, we become really annoying to all the people around us. (laughs) I love this uh, one quote from Elizabeth Taylor. She says, the problem with people who have no vices is that generally you can be sure they're going to have some pretty annoying virtues. Isn't that true? There's another uh, philosopher and poet by the name of Khalil Gibran, and he says, if we were all to sit in a circle and confess our sins, we would laugh at each other for our lack of originality. (laughs) 
You know what I mean? Like a sinner is a sinner is a sinner. I don't care what kind of sinner you are. We're all the same kind of sinner. And that's something that we just got to set that as the standard and the foundation for our interactions with each other. Okay, so don't look at people and put them on a pedestal because guess what? They're just like you. And at the same time, don't demote people and act like they're the worst human beings in the world because if you can't find the way that you can relate to that individual, you're blind to yourself. Okay, now religion, unhealthy religion, oftentimes gets a bad rep because it produces what? A lot of hypocrisy. Because it's all about keeping the squeaky clean image. Religion, when it's unhealthy, tends to be all about morality. I don't preach morality. I never tell people on Sunday morning when you come to Heartway, don't do this because it's bad and God doesn't want you to do it. That is a lousy reason not to do something. (laughs) It really is. In fact, the more you tell people don't do it because God says you shouldn't do it, the more they want to do it. Because one of our most primitive primal instincts and desires is for freedom. So if you try and enforce ethical imperatives on other people and make it an obligation or a demand, it actually produces the complete opposite effect. So the point isn't to just be moral. It's about your heart. God cares about your heart. A lot of religious folks think, okay, don't smoke, don't drink, don't cuss, don't fool around, and everything's great. But you're a snob. (laughs) And nobody likes being around you because you judge everybody. You you can't be around other humans that don't follow your way of life. And you may not even ever say a word of criticism or judgment towards them, but we could feel it. We could smell it. We could see it in your eyes. I love that Jesus was referred to as a friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. That means you got to be comfortable in that setting with those people. But it's not those people. That's us. You understand? That's my point. It's not those sinners over there. No, it's all of us. Okay? You can have this moral checklist and everything is checked off on that checklist, but your heart is in the wrong place. I'd rather be with the person who drinks and smokes and sleeps around but has a good heart and is humble and is kind than the person who is perfect and they're judgmental and self-righteous and they look down on other people. This is why Jesus said to the religious people, you know those prostitutes and tax collectors that y'all are so critical of? They're going to enter the kingdom of heaven before you. So that's why I'm hanging out with them. Because at least they know and understand and are honest about who they are. It can get to a point in your religiosity where you're not even honest about who you are. So a lot of us have been taught that when it comes to our vices and our character defects, that we have to be at war against them. We've got to like fight this battle. But that approach never gets to the root of the issue. Okay, you don't need to get rid of your vices. What you need to do is learn how to understand them, see through them. Instead of resistance, bring understanding. Once you understand why human nature is the way it is, why you do the things that you do, those vices end up getting rid of themselves almost effortlessly. 
So you got to ask yourself the question, why are these vices appealing to me in the first place? Why do I want to do these things? The answer that I have come to find is pleasure. We do things because they're pleasurable to us. The problem is pleasure is temporary. Pleasure is fickle. Pleasure is here one moment, gone the next. It doesn't truly satisfy, which is why you always need more and more and more and more. What your soul really longs for isn't pleasure, it's peace. It isn't pleasure, it's joy, lasting, abiding joy and peace. That's way better than pleasure. So once you understand that virtue is what brings happiness, your vices start losing their power over you. True happiness comes from living a life of integrity, a life of wholeness. So I want to go over these seven deadly vices with you today. And this is just an opportunity for all of us to do some self-inventory, some self-inquiry, some uh, you know, self-observation and reflection. Don't beat yourself up for the way that you are. Just bring some understanding to the way that you are. And don't think of these things as bad, wrong, sinful stuff. Think of these vices as joy killers. That's all it is. This is a joy killer. So it's not that I'm not going to do this because it's really bad. No, this is a joy killer. I want happiness. I want peace in my life. And so there are certain things that I can do that are conducive to that, and there are things that I can do that are not conducive to that. These vices, what I'm offering to you, is these vices don't produce the peace and the joy that you're ultimately looking for in life. One quote from St. Augustine, he compares a slave who's a person of good character to a king who is a person of wicked character. And look at what he says. Thus, a good man, though a slave, is free. But a wicked man, though a king, is a slave. For he serves not one man alone, but what is worse, as many masters as he has vices. Right? So you become a slave of your vices. They become your master. How could you ever find joy and happiness in that way? So here's the first one. Pride. A lot of the theologians and monastics of the Christian tradition speak of pride as the father of all other vices. Pride is this idea that you're better than, you're more superior, you're more important than others. You excessively admire yourself to the point where you become blind to your own limitations and faults. And what's crazy is that in our society, in our culture, when we see people who are proud, we confuse that for confidence. We think that that's confidence. But in reality, behind pride is just insecurity. We try and project what we are not in order to hide what we are. So we're trying really hard to make up for all of the things that we feel that we're not. So like a peacock, we're always just like showing our feathers to people. You know, look at me. The problem with pride is that it causes you to measure your value and your worth on the basis of comparison with other people. Pride can only exist where there is comparison. And the pleasure that is derived from pride is feeling better about yourself because you're above the rest. So if you're building your sense of worth and security on the basis of how you compare to people around you, 
you understand that's a really shaky foundation on which to build your self-worth. Because you may be a hot tamale. You may have all the money in the world. You can be super successful, drive an amazing car, have the perfect house with the fence and the yard. And guess what? There's going to be somebody that has more than you. There's going to be somebody that looks better than you. There's going to be somebody that's younger and hotter than you. So if you're basing all this stuff on how you compare with other people, it may last for a little while, but life will send you a wake-up call. So pride actually gives you a false sense of security that's rooted in that which is external. I heard someone say the other day, when my wealth was gone, my pride went with it. You don't want to base your sense of worth and value and confidence as a human being on anything that can be taken from you. And everything externally can be taken from you. If you work out and you look good, guess what? Accidents happen. Things happen. It may not always be that way. You get older. You know what I mean? Anything external that can be taken from you is not worth building your life upon. But if you do that, guess what? You start becoming very artificial. You become fake. You have this sense of entitlement. It makes you rude towards other people, very difficult to be around. And the problem with pride is prideful people start believing their own lies. They start believing their own press to the point where now you can't even acknowledge and admit where you're wrong. It's a very dangerous place to be, which is why the scriptures say pride comes before the fall. You never want to lose your capability to honestly evaluate yourself. And when other people give you feedback, instead of being totally resistant to it, welcome it. It would be ideal to get to the point where not only do you welcome critique from others, but you ask for it. Can you give me some feedback? You know? There's always a little bit of truth. And it's, it's hard for me to say that because I get some <laughs> harsh stuff sometimes. But there's always a little kernel of truth that I can find that I agree with. It doesn't have to be either or. It's both and. I hear you. And I can see how you arrive at that conclusion. I can see some merit in what you're saying. And also X, Y, Z. But it has to be, no, they're lying. That's not true. Well... Yeah. There's always just a little, little kernel that you can find. And if you can find that kernel, now the criticism isn't going to affect you as much. You can actually use it and build on it and get better and grow. That's pride. The next is envy, very closely connected. Envy is wanting what someone else has. And it's more than that. It's also resenting someone for what they have or possess or have accomplished. So people feel envious when they see other people living the life that they want to but don't. Envy is also just insecurity being projected as anger and resentment. Here's the tough thing about envy, just to prepare you. The people oftentimes who will be the most envious to you are the closest to you. Not all the time. I hope you have good, genuine people in your life that support you and celebrate you. I thank God I do. But when envy is present, normally comes from the people closest to you. So just be ready for that. I don't really have an answer for that other than just know that that happens. Oh, somebody said a lot. <laughs> if you haven't fully tapped into your potential, you start resenting people who have. 
When I see somebody living into the fullness of their calling, I want that to inspire me. I want that to encourage me to grow and develop. I want to learn from these people. I don't want to bring them down, but the pleasure that envy brings is seeing other people fall. That's sad. Isn't that sad that sometimes people take pleasure in your downfall? But if somebody takes pleasure in your downfall and they want to bring you down, it's because they feel that they're beneath you. You understand? So if, you're, if you envy another person, it's because you feel that you're beneath them. Well, that's not their issue. That's your issue. You understand? So you, you got some stuff you got to work on because you think somebody's better than you just because they have more or they've done more or they've accomplished more. That's an identity crisis that you got. And them failing isn't going to fix that for you because then there'll just be somebody else that takes their place. So... Envy causes us to criticize other people so much. We put so much energy towards bringing other people down that we now put very little and minimal energy towards improving and growing and developing ourselves. So envy keeps you trapped where you are. You want progress. You want growth which is why you have this envy and resentment within you in the first place but the envy is preventing you from actually experiencing it, it keeps you trapped where you are because now you're just focused on everybody else and what they're doing and not doing instead of yourself and what you can be doing to get to wherever you want to be and also why do you want to be where you want to be do you think that that's going to do something for you at a deep level you know are you do, are you going to feel better about yourself when you're at a different place in your life because newsflash no it doesn't work like that. You may feel better again for a little bit because, oh, I finally reached the mountaintop. Well, you're going to get bored. You're going to want to reach another mountaintop, and the game will just continue. I, I'm the kind of person that wants to find full satisfaction in the present moment. Whatever I'm experiencing in this present moment is where I'm going to find my contentment and my satisfaction. Can this moment be enough for me? When you start living like that, now the future is just filled with so many possibilities. And you can pursue whatever it is you want to pursue without any fear of failure. Because you're not attached to the outcome anymore. So you'll give it all you got. I'll try a new initiative. I'll partner with somebody to do something else. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I'm not attached to the outcome of it. You see how when you start living like that, envy has no place anymore. Envy also, just like pride, is rooted in comparison. We love to do this. We love to compare. Everybody's journey is unique. If you can just get in your head that you are totally unique and incomparable, you are just you, and God has made you uniquely as you are, and there no, no one has ever been like you, and no, no one will ever be like you, because your particular experiences are unique to you, and they have shaped you to become the person that you are. If you can find that treasure that is found in your own life and your own being at your core, there's no need to compare yourself to anybody else. God doesn't make carbon copies. God only makes originals. You are an original, one of one, even if you're a twin. Okay, you are one of one. Who you are on the inside, that's, that's you. There's this story in the book of Genesis about two brothers, Cain and Abel. And... Uh, they both offer these sacrifices to God, 
And for some reason, God accepts Abel's sacrifice and rejects Cain's sacrifice. Cain gets resentful that his brother's sacrifice was accepted by God to the point where he's like, I'm going to kill you. And then he deaded him. And that's the end of the story. And that's the end of the story. Okay, you guys like how I reinterpret the Bible? You got to make it fun, man. I've been doing this for too long. I got to do the Danny Prada translation, you know. Now, here's what I love about this story. What I love about this story is that the scriptures don't tell us why God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. There's no reason why. So you can try and read into it. But there is no explicit reason that's given as to why God favored Abel over Cain. You know why I like that? Because it kind of speaks to the randomness and arbitrariness of life in this universe. We don't know why God chooses some people for certain things and not others. Why is it that some people are born into rich families and others are born in poverty? Why is it that some people are born perfectly healthy and other people are born with a lot of health issues? Why is it that some people seem to experience all this success and other people don't? And in our culture, of course, everybody's like, yeah, I manifested this. You know, I, I, I manifested. I put this on my vision board. I'm the one that created all this. I create my own system. I'm manifesting. And I, I'm all right with it, kind of. Not really. Okay? Because it's never just you. There are so many factors involved in somebody becoming a success, whatever the heck that means. Okay? And it's not always up to you. Some of the most talented people in the world right now, more talented than the famous people that we idolize, are unknown. And all the people that are, that are totally known right now, at some point, nobody knew who they were. So were they better after they were known or before they were known? It's the same talent. It's the same gifting. It's the same calling that's there. Why is it that life sometimes chooses this person and not that person? Well, we don't know. We don't have answers for it. But you'll certainly become envious if you think that it's all about, you know, that person and that their, their ability and their power, and they just, you know, they've just been given everything in life. We can create all these reasons why we can be envious, but sometimes there's just a lot of factors involved that we're not aware of. So there's no reason to be envious. Just let it, yes, it, sometimes it's random. We don't know why. We don't know why God chooses some and not others. I don't know. We don't know why it works out for some people and not others. And we don't know, but that's okay. It is what it is what it is. Can I be satisfied with my life? What can I do with the hand that I have been dealt? How can I maximize and make the most of this? That's the interesting question. Why would we spend our lives just looking at other people and wishing that we had what they had? That's boring. <laughs> Next up, this is good. We got some good stuff for this. Anger. Anybody got anger problems? Don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you know, anger is a thing. For me, I feel anger a lot sometimes. It's one of my things. You know, what do you do with that anger? That's the important question. What do you do with it? If you stuff it, it's just going to erupt in ways that are going to be very harmful and toxic for your life. So you got to learn how to, how to relate to your anger in a healthy way, how to release your anger in a healthy manner. And also, let's talk about how to prevent ourselves from getting angry in the first place. Like, Why are we getting angry like this? The best way to overcome anger is to do it immediately. 
Because if you let it fester, it begins to take you over. And then it takes you on this roller coaster ride. Okay? People and circumstances do not change as a result of you being angry at them. So let's just try and make sense of all this for a second. Nothing's going to change just because you're so angry. In fact, it's going to make things worse. If it does change it, it's going to change it for the worse. What anger does change is you. Not your circumstance. It changes you. It changes you by turning you into someone that you're not. Because once you're done with your episode of explosion, what normally happens? You, man, now that I'm back to my senses, I'm sorry. You know, I was, you know, and you did all this crazy thing in that moment of anger. You didn't even mean it in the moment you did, but that's not even you. It turns you into somebody that you're not. So anger does more harm to you than the people you're angry at. In fact, sometimes the people you're angry at like to see you angry. It makes them happy. Do you want them to be happy? <laughs> yes, but not because I'm angry. Not at my expense. Okay? So a couple of tips for anger. Number one, hard pill to swallow. It's your own opinions that anger you. The Stoics like to say it's not things that upset us, but rather our opinions about them. Okay, we have this really bad habit of saying, he is making me angry. She made me angry. Eh, stop it right there. When you hear yourself saying that foolery, no. I'm making me angry because of the way that I am thinking and perceiving and interpreting what's occurring right now. That is hard to do, but it's the way you take your power back. Because if it's that person making you angry, if it's that person making you mad, then it's only that person that can bring you peace. It's only that person that can get you pacified. And that may not happen. So you need to uh, let go of the need for that and take care of it within yourself. Next. Don't be surprised by the way people act. This helps with anger management and regulation. Okay, when people are upset, oftentimes we, we act shocked by things that have occurred. This happened to me a couple weeks ago. I went through a situation and I found myself, I just heard it coming out of my mouth. I can't believe that people are like this. That I said that. And as soon as I said that, I'm like, why can't you believe it, bro? <laughs> really, why can't, I, why can't I believe it? Believe it. That's how people are. So instead of being shocked and surprised, oh my God, I can't believe that they act like that. No, expect people to act like that. When I wake up every day, I'm going to expect people to be annoying, to get on my nerves, to, to, to be mean. I'm just expecting it. And if it doesn't happen, great. And if it does happen, I knew, I knew it. I knew it. I'm ready. Why would I expect people to be anything other than people? People be peopling. That's all it is. So don't be surprised by it. Reacting with surprise is actually irrational. Because behavior that we perceive as foolish is quite normal. It really, it's normal. So it's good to cultivate an attitude of acceptance. Right? I understand people are not perfect. 
People have their moments. People often act in ways that are out of line with their true character, out of line with my expectations of how they should act. That's okay. I'm not going to be surprised by it anymore because you'll get stuck in that. I got stuck for like 10 minutes on that. I can't believe, you know, until I snapped out of it and woke up to myself. I can't believe this person. What? What? And they're, they're a minister? This person's a pastor? What? I can't believe. What? No. Human. That person's a human. Now I'm giving too much information about my personal problems. <laughs> okay, another tip for anger. Consider their character as a whole. What do I mean by this? When we're angry, we tend to exclusively and selectively focus on the most annoying and irritating aspects of that other person's behavior. And we just highlight that and we make that the whole story. Come to your senses and recognize that that is not that person's identity. This is a moment. You wouldn't want somebody else to label you and identify you and put you in a box on the basis of one irrational moment. Right? So let's treat other people the way that we want to be treated. And a good way to bring some equilibrium when you're feeling angry is to recognize, yes, these are some really annoying qualities that are coming out right now. But this is not the whole story. I've seen this person on a good day. Okay, because then you start making these uh, unrealistic judgments on people's character. And it's just not true. And we do a lot of damage by doing that. So consider their character as a whole, and that'll help moderate your anger. And then last but not least, when you're dealing with, with difficult people, keep an open mind about their motives. Okay? Sometimes people do the right thing for the wrong reasons. And sometimes people do the wrong things for the right reasons. Somebody's lashing out at you. They may not have ill will towards you even though it may seem like that's the case. They have a genuine need that they're trying to express. They don't know how else to do it. This is the only way that I know how to try and get your attention and show you something's off. There's a deep need that I have. I'm not being seen. I'm not being understood. I'm not being heard or listened to. And so it's coming out in a totally wrong way, but the reason is, is, is the right reason. So instead of assuming a negative intention, Go the opposite way. Assume a positive intention behind it. Maybe this person right now is just doing the wrong thing with the right reason behind it. Of course, we do the opposite. Right? When we become angry, we jump to conclusions about what other people are thinking. Oh, they're doing that because you know, they're trying to hurt me or they're trying to get me back for something. And yeah, maybe that's true, but you don't know. You don't know for sure. Can you read people's mind? Can you see their heart? No. Anytime I'm like 100% sure that this is the reason why somebody's doing something, I know that I'm being delusional. Because how can I be sure? I'd rather ask them. And if I can't or don't want to, I'll assume the best. And then move forward. Okay, that was great. Anger. Let's work on that. Okay, I was waiting for that section because I, you know... I got to hear it. We got to hear it, you know? <laughs> Preaching to myself. Okay, the next one. Overindulgence. 
overindulgence. Technically, this one is gluttony, but, you know, we're going to expand this. Overindulgence. It applies to everything. The principle here is too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. Things like food, sex, money, work, these are all good things. But they can become bad things when they are misused. If you're overindulging in stuff, you're just trying to find an emotional escape. There's some stuff you, you don't want to deal with. And the way that you try and forget is by diving head first into something that is going to just bring you a whole bunch of pleasure and give you a rush of dopamine and help you try and forget what you're going through for a little bit. All that does is harm you on multiple levels. Compromises your health, diminishes your energy, affects the way that you feel about yourself. And if you're not careful with your overindulgence, eventually you'll get to a point where you can't stop yourself from indulging. And that's when you become a slave to your vices. Again, it's not that any of these things are inherently bad in and of themselves. It's about how you relate to the stuff. And too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. So the way to counter overindulgence is by developing self-control. Self-control sounds like a restriction, but it's actually true freedom. Self-control is power. If I have control over myself, then I am free from the control of people. I am free from the control of circumstances. I'm free from the control of my desires and my emotions. There's a reason why the New Testament teaches that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. You want to know that God is at work in somebody's life? Real transformation? Self-control is a sign of that. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect all the time. Again, this has nothing, nothing that I'm talking about has anything to do with perfection. Everybody knows this, right? That's not even a thing. It's not real. The only perfection is imperfection. Okay, but... To develop a sense of self-control means I am not dominated by my urges. Freedom. And that means other people can't control you. Freedom. Because somebody knows you really want something. You really want money. You really want sex. You really want this. You really want that. Now that's just a little carrot. And you become a little bunny. <laughs> you know? And you're controlled by people. Really. You just get control. <laughs> I don't want, I don't like that. Do you like that? Some people like that. I don't like that. So we're, we're not doing that. Okay? So another way to combat overindulgence, and this is very wise advice, guys. Everything in moderation. Nothing in excess. If you can just take that principle and apply it in every domain of your life, everything in moderation, even moderation. <laughs> Sometimes it may be time to indulge. Yes. Everything in moderation, even moderation. Nothing in excess. There's a time and a place for everything. That's how you keep your balance. Next, lust. Woo! Lord have mercy, help me God, please. This is a tough one. Some, some of y'all want to step out right now. We're not going there, Pastor. We ain't going there today. Lust. Okay? Let me tell you what lust is not. Okay? Lust is not sexual desire. 
Can we normalize sexual desire? It's okay to have sexual desires. Yes, I know. It's Sunday morning. We're in church. <laughs> sexual desires is not bad. Who told you that was wrong? Church. Yes, church. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. We're trying to. We're trying to. You know. I know. But it's like think about Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, they eat the fruit. Now they're naked and they're ashamed about it. They start getting these leaves to cover up. And God's like, "Who told you you were naked?" What's the problem? Really? Sexual desire is normal. Lust isn't about wanting sex. It's about needing it. It's the need for it. When you have a need for it, you will use people to get what you really feel you need. You understand? So there's a lot of people that I know, they want other people to lust after them. We want other people to be obsessed with us. There's something that feels powerful about it. Like I said, we can control people. But let me tell you something. If you lure somebody on the basis of your attractiveness, if you're able to control your partner on the basis of your, you know, sexual energy and vibe, who's not to say that somebody else won't be able to do the same thing. So if your relationship with somebody is, is, is and of course in the beginning stages, that's what it's all about. It's like, ooh, I'm on fire, I just wanna, you know what I mean? We just wanna, you know? Well, guess what, if that's what, if that's what you're basing this whole thing on, the next hot person that comes along, your dude is gonna be like a little dog. Because things, when we get what we want, it gets old. You know what I mean? So, in lust, you're the one that's important. In love, the other person is important. You understand? We confuse lust with love all the time. Lust just takes the body and discards the soul. What's, what's the point of that? Why? Repeat, lust takes the body and discards the soul. And lust blinds you. So it causes you to become attached to the wrong people. Because you're not even looking at the right criteria. You're just going off of this impulse and instinct that is good and natural and beautiful, but that, that can lead you astray. And sometimes it'll bring you together with folks that you don't got no business with. And that's something that I've had to tell myself in my singleness. If I entertain what's not for me, I won't be available for what is. So, why am I going to, you know? Can y'all preach this to me when you see me? Danny, if you entertain what's not for you, you won't be available for what is. Tell me that over and over, okay? Thank you. My, my, my. That's good today. Okay, we're almost done. We're almost done. The next one is sloth. Sloth. Okay, sloth. That word just weird, right? Sloth doesn't necessarily mean laziness. The idea behind this deadly vice is this apathy, this lack of concern and energy and excitement about life. It's, it's characterized by hopelessness. 
despair, sadness. Sloth means avoiding responsibility. For some reason, a lot of people think that the good life is a life devoid of responsibility. I was in Jamaica this past week. I was eating this beautiful restaurant on the beach. And I hear these people next to me chit-chattering. And one of them says, oh, my God, this is the dream life. If I could just wake up every day and be on the beach and have a rum punch <laughs> and just travel the world and chill and get massages all the time, that's the dream life, avoiding responsibility. That will get old very quickly for you. No. What the soul longs for is a life of meaning and purpose. And meaning and purpose is always going to be tied to responsibility. So responsibility has the ability to inspire you. The word inspire means in spirit. Literally, it's living in line with your spirit's calling. To have this divine energy being breathed into you. You have a reason to wake up. And it's a reason that's connected to something much larger than just you and your pleasure and satisfaction today. No, it's connected to impact. It's connected to purpose. It's connected to meaning. It's connected to service. It's connected to making a difference in somebody else's life. There's a proverb that says, the slacker craves yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. That's Proverbs 13, 4. And then last but not least is greed. Okay, greed. A selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. We have no idea in our culture what just enough is. We have no idea what just enough is. And you, by the way, you can have a feeling of having just enough and being content and still get more. Those two things are not opposed to each other. You can have ambition and contentment at the same time. You're actually more better suited to pursue your ambitions if you do it all from a place of present moment contentment. Because now I don't need it. If I get it, great. I'm going to give my all towards it. But I'm going to enjoy the ride. I'm going to enjoy where I am right now. That's something I've had to tell myself recently. It's like, Danny, you're literally walking and living an answered prayer right now. But then sometimes, you know, the mind always goes to the future. Yeah, but I need more. I need, I need you know, I got to figure this out so that I can have this all set up and all my operations set up. It's like, brother, no, you're walking in the prayer. You're living it right now, but you're not able to enjoy it. Because you keep looking ahead to something else. In the same way that all of it worked itself out to get you to the point where you are now, it will work itself out to get you to the point where you need to be. But don't miss all of the moments in between. One of the richest men of the 19th century, a man by the name of Andrew Carnegie. As he was dying, his biographer was asking him, very important question. He said, are you dying contented? And he said, no, I'm actually a very discontented man. My, my whole life has been a failure. I'm unfulfilled. And his biographer said, I don't understand how that can be the case. You have everything in the world and more. 
You have all this wealth. You have all this money. Why wouldn't you be content? Why wouldn't you be fulfilled? And he says, yeah, the money is there, but I've lost my life in the accumulation of it all. And then he said, when I was poor, at least there was hope that someday I was going to be rich and then all would be well. Now I have even lost that hope because I'm rich and still my poverty remains the same. Greed comes from the feeling of inner emptiness. If you have that feeling of inner emptiness, there is no amount of external stuff that will be able to give you a sense of inner satisfaction. Our culture is hyper-focused on outer riches, but what God provides to you is inner riches, right? We normally tend to pursue quantitative change. But the real secret sauce is in qualitative change. It's not about the quantity of stuff you have, it's about the quality of life that you live. Okay, and if you don't have this inner richness, outer richness is just gonna make you more aware of the inner poverty that you have. So true wealth is contentment. True wealth is peace of mind. True wealth is family, your loved ones, the connections that you have. That's true wealth. Get rich in that way first. Then let's talk about the other stuff. Be rich in joy, rich in peace, rich in love. And then you'll begin to see everything work out. And the good part is even if it doesn't work out, you'll still be okay. Let's pray. God, in this moment, we open up our hearts and we ask you to form us into the image of Christ. We ask that you would transform us from the inside out into people of virtue because we know that our happiness and joy in life is connected to virtuous living. We're not trying to be perfect. We're trying to be whole, people of integrity, There are so many of us right now, God, that are enslaved to our vices. I pray today that you would break those chains. Help us to see through the life of vice, to see through the temporary pleasure these vices bring so that we can release and let go and be open to the true wealth and true contentment that you have for us within. We thank you that you're walking with us through this journey. Help us not to beat ourselves up or feel guilty and ashamed when we don't get it right, but to remember that we're all a work in progress and you will complete the work that you have started in us. Thank you for your love. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, everybody. God bless you. Love you. Have a great week. Catch you next Sunday.